Hi, I'm Martin McDonald. And I'm Sophia Fabili. The Thousand Islands Playhouse may have closed its doors this season, but our podcast lives on. While the artists are waiting in the wings and aren't on our stages, we're connecting with them at home to hear how they're exercising their creativity during the pandemic. Welcome to the Thousand Islands Playhouse podcast, at home edition. Welcome back to the Thousand Islands Playhouse podcast. I am very excited about our guest today. Let me tell you all about her. Deanna H. Choi is a sound designer and composer for plays, musical theater, film and TV, and interactive media. Her past Playhouse credits include Midsummer in 2018, although the first TIP production she ever attended was My Fair Lady in 2003. She is a 2020 laureate of the Pauline McGibbon Award for, from the Ontario Arts Council. She has a background in behavioral neuroscience from Queen's University, is a classically trained violinist and has no idea what day of the week it is. Her upcoming productions include Go Find Mr. Squeakerton, performed exclusively for an audience of cats, Death of a Hand Sanitizer Salesman, and Phantom of the Dishwasher. Uh, You can find her online at Split Brain Sound. Please give a warm welcome to Deanna. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing this. Hi, Deanna. Marta and Yay. I are we're so looking forward to talking to you and uh, we're coordinating this on Zoom calls and phone calls and all this stuff to make this happen. Thank you so much. This is really exciting. Um, I was really looking forward to being back at the Playhouse. So this is kind of a nice way to still connect with everyone. Totally. Mm-hmm. The pandemic. And similarly yeah. to Marta and I being Kingston natives, you are from Kingston as well. I am, yeah. I grew up in Kingston. Uh, I graduated from KCVI and I also went to Queens, so I'm very much entrenched in that community. And yeah. fun fact, because they're probably talking about beverages later today, right? That's right. Um, yeah. I happened to pull this mug that I'm drinking out of right now um, out of my cupboard. And uh, it's a reference to, it says, um, I'm a wicked witch, what's your excuse? <laughs> and it's a, uh, I realized it's a tie-in to the first time I met Martha, which was yeah. on the production, the Kinsman production of The Wizard of Oz in like 2001. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a long time ago. Amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you were all, everyone was munchkins. There were so many, we, yeah, kids, so many all munchkin kids in that show. Well, yeah. good segue, uh, because in our first segment, we do ask each of our guests to choose a drink of choice, alcoholic or non-alcoholic, that we share while we're chatting so we can feel like we're together even though we're apart. So what are you drinking out of that fantastic mug? Uh, I'm drinking coffee as strong as I can make it right now. Brilliant. Cheers. I mean, that's one thing that has not changed with the pandemic is my caffeine dependence. And Are that- you a coffee all day person? Uh, pretty much. I've been known yeah. to drink coffee at 10 p.m. Oh, wow. And wow. I don't have to sleeping, though. It's great. Oh, my gosh. I desire that. That's amazing. I desire that. We're drinking coffee, too, in honor of Deanna. Cheers, everybody. Yeah. Cheers. Mm -hmm. Nice. We're all going to be, like, wired in five minutes and talking really, really fast. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, So, Deanna, set us the scene a little bit. Where are you you calling us from? Where are we talking to you from? Okay. Uh, I'm in uh, Toronto, um, which is where uh, I've called home since 2015. And this is sort of my studio setup, um, which has been very silent and empty for the past few months, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, I just like to give a, a shout out that I'm on the coming. I'm calling in from the traditional lands and territories of the Mississaugas of the Credit, uh, Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe, and the Wanda. Amazing! And you've got some beautiful art behind you, and a music stand. You've got just lots of lots of stuff going on. 
Yeah, um, yeah, this piece of art was actually uh, a canvas that my friend um, painted a number of years ago, and I have a music band, I've got my microphone, I have a bunch of instruments lying around, um, a tambourine, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Deanna, for the people listening in, um, sound designers, I feel like, are someone that we don't, maybe maybe we wouldn't all know exactly what that role would entail. So as a sound designer and a composer, can you explain for the folks listening at home, what does that mean? Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I don't know what a sound designer does. <laughs> um, it is a term, I think, in theater that has started to be a, a real umbrella term for the entire auditory world of a show because in terms of visual design, you often separate it into disciplines like lighting, set, costume projection. Although there are a lot of, num- uh, there are a lot of people who overlap in those areas. Um, but with sound, historically, there's only been one person hired when in reality, it can often be split up into everything from uh, the composer, i.e. the person who writes original music or sets lyrics to music for the show um, or creates underscoring or transitional music um, which is becoming much more common in shows as opposed to using, you know, existing stock music, um, to, or to, uh, underscore a production. And then you also have, uh, the creation of sound effects or soundscapes, um, recording, rec- uh, sorry, recording voiceover. So that's a lot of overlap with the film world and right. how sound is sort of split up into multiple disciplines in film. Um, but then what I was supposed to be doing on The Music Man is actually is another branch of sound design, which is often referred to as sound systems design or, or sound reinforcement. So on a show like The Music Man, which is a musical and everyone is uh, mic'd in order to be heard over the band and um, in a large venue like The Springer, you need someone who... Um, is a member of the creative team and takes into account, you know, what the director and the choreographer have in mind for the world of the show and how the sound of the actors fills the space and is then transmitted to every part of the theater so that no matter whether, because often the, the premium row tickets at the front, you might get a better view of the stage. But the idea is that everyone should be able to hear the show no matter where they're sitting. Um, and the way that the sound designer then communicates with the front of house mixer, i.e. the person who is uh, moving all the faders on the sound console and adjusting the relative levels of the actors and the band, um, in almost in the way that a, uh, a music producer, let's say, record, uh, works with a recording artist. Totally. And so has some creative insight into what they're trying to do and what emotional impact they want the audience to have as they're listening to the music and yeah so it's this very nebulous territory of combining uh, an understanding of technology of microphones and speakers and acoustics um, but also knowledge of music and orchestration and um, a musical style as well. Totally. I mean, it's, yeah. cr- it's actually expansive when you think about all the things that you need to be good at to be a sound designer and a composer. <laughs> like, it's everything, as you just said, from like, if you hear a telephone ring on stage and ha- it's set in the 1900s or early 1900s, has a sound like a 1900s telephone to composing original music to making sure that the sound mix and everything, the sound is beautiful and vibrant and that everyone in the theater can hear it. Like, those are actually really distinct different 
skills. It's really, really impressive. And the thing is, I think sound has evolved so much in the last several decades where before, um, I mean, in the early days of theater, you really had props people or, or the sound person was using Foley objects, you know, mm. the classical style, these old BBC radio plays, you had someone waving a thunder sheet or, you know, beating objects together to create these sound effects. And now that technology has vastly improved and you can create and layer in a much more intense um, uh, or sorry, a much more dense structure of sound that then involves a lot of computer programming to implement into the show. Um, but at the core of it, though, the most important part with sound is understanding the emotional intention mm-hmm. behind the sound. Sometimes it's, it's about getting historical accuracy, you know, like you said, the, the sound of an early 20th century phone, um, a ring, as opposed to, you know, the, the Skype movie ringtone, which I now see in a lot of contemporary scripts, because that's the way that we communicate now. Right. But then there also, there might be in a script, um, the sound of the classic ones, there's a knock at the door. Well, if there isn't an actual prop door there, that the actor is walking through, and that has to be recreated to sound off stage. Is it an insistent knock? Is it like tap? Is it um, uh, is it menacing? Is it yeah. uh, hesitant? All those qualities then have to come through in the sound design because then that helps tell the story and inform mm-hmm. the audience of what might happen next. Totally. And those tiny little details, I feel like it's conversations like these that the next time you go see a show or you watch a movie and you and you really listen to the sound, you go, oh, wow, every little moment was a choice that the designer made. And so that's why I love having conversations like this because we can actually go, oh, yeah, that whole thing that you were listening to all along, you actually, when you focus in on it, you realize how much goes into it. But I want to kind of yeah. shift gears a little bit because, and we're going to come back to the sound design stuff in a moment, but what I wanted to kind of tie in is that that, you know, because due to the pandemic, we're not able to be doing the Music Man. Uh, You know, our podcast was about, can we connect with these people that we would have been working with right now, get to hang out with them, talk to them, and hear all all this creative energy that you have, what are you funneling it into these days? And so I'm going to let you tell us, which is another another crazy skill that you have, what are you, how are you using your time, Deanna? Um, Well, other than eating a lot of Doritos... (laughs) Um, balance out the eating of said Doritos. Uh, my partner and I uh, are getting into, well, my partner's been an avid cyclist for a while. Um, and now that I have more time on my hands, I thought, okay, you know, this is something that I think I can get more into. I've, I'm a commuter cyclist, but living in Toronto, that is scary even on the best of days. So it wasn't something I found overly enjoyable doing. It was more out of necessity and being able to go from one rehearsal to another and dodge the PTC. Um, But uh, yeah, but now that we're actually sort of taking the time to go on lengthier bike rides and in Toronto, for those of you who don't know, um, the Lakeshore is a a major, uh, it's a minor highway that connects um, the two ends of the city that goes, as you would presume, as you would imagine, along the waterfront. And so every weekend they close that down to cyclists, runners, uh, people on skateboards, so to really encourage people to be active but socially distanced. Um, so, and there are a lot of trails around too. Once you start looking, um, that connect the various waterways in the city. So you can go for a couple hours and sort of lose yourself in that. And what I love about 
cycling um, is you really have to be fully present. Mm-hmm. And something that I struggle with when I'm working constantly is getting bogged down in, oh, I have to go to this meeting, I have to go to this rehearsal, I have X, Y, Z, all these things to do. And it's easy to get caught up in that and to sort of lose sight of the big picture or to let daily stresses and anxieties get to you. And certainly that's also extremely debilitating in a creative sense. Um, But with cycling, you have to, you can't let your attention drift for a moment, especially if you're going on a wooded trail where there might be rocks and roots. Um, And also being aware of how your gears are shifting and um, keeping track of even your own heart rate to pace yourself if you're going for, you know, a 50 kilometer, 100 kilometer bike ride. So... Uh, but once you get to that point and you get past the burning in your calves and your quads, <laughs> um, it becomes sort of meditative. And mm. I've never been a person who's really into meditation. So this is kind of a, a great way to turn the chattering part of my brain off. So that's, speak. that's amazing. It's interesting. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask if you were, if you were finding that it was like, inspiring you where you sort of heard music as you traveled or if it was the opposite where you kind of were able to sort of separate that part of your brain and focus on something else so do you find that you sort of are able to like you said it's meditative like you you sort of you separate yourself from the I imagine as a sound designer you listen to sound and you hear music all the time yeah exactly (laughs) it's the difference between um I guess once I started working as a sound designer, I had to listen a lot more actively to all the different, even just walking around in, you know, a shopping mall, let's say, I would start picking up on what does this sound like? What are the acoustics of the space? And so on and so on. You know, thinking at any point in time, I might get asked to work on a show that involves this kind of setting. So just being attuned to all those really minute, subtle differences is helpful. But then it can get a little overwhelming at times when it feels like you're constantly on yeah, and having to note everything. And, and so, um, and also for music as well, I'm kind of notoriously bad about this when friends ask me for music suggestions because I actually don't listen to a lot of music for fun <laughs> um, because so often I'm doing that constantly for research and for work. So when I come home, I just want to, I want to listen to like a true crime podcast or something. Right. It's completely unrelated. Um, and uh, yeah, and but then with cycling and certainly when you go on to a more deserted trail at night um, and just sort of hear the hum of the city in the distance, but then there's just your, your immediate surroundings. Um, uh, it's calming but exhilarating at the same time to be in that space. So totally, I highly encourage anyone who wants to get outside. Now's a good time. Well, maybe not this weekend because. <laughs> but nicer to go sure in the evening in the in the dusk when it's a little bit. As long as you have some lights on and you're safe. But when it's a little yeah, bit cooler, yeah. And what a great outlet for someone living in a in a large city during a time yeah. like this to be able to kind of get in nature a little bit, but not feel like you're around too many people. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. 
I think it's also like, I mean, just thinking about the bigger picture too, like so many, I mean, basically all artists right now, um, except for maybe a few TV folks, which are starting to go back into production. Um, you know, artists aren't working right now. We're not able to. And I think everyone would, if we had our choice, we would be working right now. We want to be working. But it is kind of a, a an unexpected silver lining for this moment that, you know, Deanna, I know that you're a very like sought after designer. You're working on tons of shows and people are lining up to work with you that you do get a little chance to breathe although it's really tough to like lose all the gigs you had lined up I'm glad that you're you found this meditative um space in cycling that's really awesome it, it's funny the way that you know you describe it as a silver lining I think for a lot of people um it's been this strange sort of catch-22 realization of oh this is the first time I've had a break <laughs> totally that's our notorious industry especially that contributes to burnout to poor mental health to a lot of challenges in personal relationships um, because we are so committed to our work. And, and I think for a long time there was this almost um, a pretty toxic, actually, expectation in the industry that if you want to succeed, then you have to be able to put everything aside totally. for the work. Um, and this also this romanticized notion of the artist as being completely self-sacrificial. And, um, and also hearing from people who say that being on CERB is the most financially stable they've been yeah. in, yeah. you know, 12 years of being a freelancer. Yeah. And CERB is not that much, especially when you live somewhere like Toronto, where rent is incredibly expensive. And also rent's going up in the Kingston area as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, housing prices are, are soaring. So I wonder if this is, in a way, a chance for us to, obviously, it's the extreme end of the spectrum, but is there actually a viable way forward in the future when we do come back to work that we don't have to have these wild, ridiculous hours, um, having, you know, 10 out of 12 constantly working six days a week? Yeah. Uh, these are all, maybe we'll just drop these in the ears of our listeners that theater artists work six out of seven days a week. Deanna just said 10 out of 12. That's a tech day. That means we have a 12 hour day, 10 of which we are working, two are off for breaks and meals. And that is a regular schedule during tech week, which is the week leading up to production. And Deanna, who is a designer, will be with a production for rehearsal and then tech. And then unlike the actor who stays to run out the show, she's picking up and going off to the next one and just doing it again and again and again. And these tech weeks are absolutely exhausting because you're going home after your long day and then maybe you're doing some tweaks or adjustments you're trying to pack your meals or get some sleep it really is a very working on your next project 100 percent 100 percent so yeah thanks for thanks for being so honest and sharing that i think it's great perspective so i really really appreciate it marta do you want to lead us into our yeah i think we should uh we will lead into our next segment which is this or that pandemic edition um, right. So we're going to ask you a series of questions that will break down how you spend your quarantine and what kind of habits you've developed during the pandemic. Sound good? <laughs> They're really bad. They're really Fun questions. Very Fun questions. questions. We just want to yeah. learn a bit more about you. Okay. Uh, early riser or night owl? Oh, um, normally because of theater, I'm a, I'm a night owl, but... I think I'm just a late, late morning, every late everything, <laughs> late everything, yeah. mid yeah. middle of the road everything. Uh, yeah. Sweats, sweats or dressed. Pardon? Sweats or dressed? Oh, sweats, one hundred percent. This is the first time I put on a button-up shirt 
in five months. Bake bake all day or take away? Oh, uh, the beginning of quarantine was bake, and now it's becoming more take. take yeah, <laughs> I get that. I know. I I definitely was baking, and then I was like, yeah, I think I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah. DIY or online buy? Uh, I, DIY. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. have you been doing? Um, well, uh, I recently. Um, uh, so my partner's uh, mother lent me her sewing machine. Amazing. So I've been, you know, jumping on the bandwagon of making masks. And, you know, I, I have, looking at my closet, I'm like, when am I going to wear all these opening night outfits? So I'm repurposing a lot I know. of clothes and, you know, blankets and things into new pieces of, um, like, home furnishings. So Amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, the next question I already know the answer to then, which is homemade mask or bought one. But it sounds homemade. like you've been making masks. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Nice. Uh, and Sophia? Uh, Tiger King or The Last Dance? Neither. Neither. <laughs> She's not I, on Netflix. I really, here's, the pro- here's the problem. I recently realized that the reason I'm not binging Netflix 24-7 is I used to use it to procrastinate for things, but now I have nothing to procrastinate oh, for. Oh, wow. Yep. You might be the only person I've spoken to who's like, not well, watching Netflix. I don't want to watch Netflix if I have nothing to do. I want to yeah, watch Netflix it, because I have something to do. I feel exactly the same way. I think I've just realized this about myself. You've just helped me discover what my condition is currently. Yeah, yeah. It's now, now it's like I have nowhere to be. I have nowhere to be rushed or panicked for. Now, now I can't. Yeah. Binge. I, I actually, I caught up on Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's been my guilty pleasure. Oh yeah, for yeah. Me. I gotta nice. watch that. Nice. Um, I feel like this is a good question for a composer. What's been your quarantine jam? Well, I guess you did say that you like to, to take a break from listening to music. Have you been listening to anything in particular? Yeah. Um, I have been listening. Sometimes when I do get nostalgic, I listen to musical theater soundtracks. Nice. Yeah, um, anything in particular? Uh, I mean, uh, Hamilton, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, also like Hadestown, uh, Natasha, Pierre, and the Great Comet. Um, yeah. yeah, a few of those. So. Awesome. Amazing. And here's our, uh, oh yeah, Marty, you take it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> Being so Canadian. Um, what's your. I'm so excited about this question. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you could quarantine anywhere in the world, where would you choose? Anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Zealand. I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. Yeah. They've got a pretty awesome and... prime minister. Yeah, so I figure now that in beautiful landscapes and you know some Lord of the Rings there, so I wouldn't mind yeah. being you know trapped in. On yeah, that could be nice. Amazing. Yeah. I hope that one day you can have an amazing trip to New Zealand safely. And that's my that's my wish for you. <laughs> Among I can't others. believe you said you didn't say you wanted to come back to your hometown of Kingston, Ontario, to quarantine. Why not? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was actually I was staying with my mom briefly at the beginning of quarantine. Um, and it is, it's strange. It was so strange being there with no students because mm, I've yeah. gr- growing up so there. True. That's just a, a normal part of daily life. And I guess to be fair in the summer, there aren't as many students, um, but still then alive and bustling with tourists. So it's, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're feeling that in Gananoque yeah, too. Definitely. 
Definitely quiet, yeah, and get an awkward as well, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, listen, Deanna, this has been so lovely. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing about designing and cycling and everything in between. We really appreciate your time. We also want to give a special shout-out to Mark Hunt, who is TIP's head carpenter, for composing the music for this podcast. Um, this podcast was produced by Maya Fam Gananakwe. Many thanks to Terry Lynn for all her help. We're recording today on the traditional land of the Huron-Wendat and Haudenosaunee peoples. Please follow us on thousandislandsplayhouse.com and on social media. Thank you, Deanna. See you soon. Bye, Deanna. Good to see you. Bye. Bye.